But I'm glad you're, you're here with us. Um, and if to those of you who are just hearing my voice because you're listening to our podcast, cool. Thanks for doing that. And if you're new and didn't know we have a podcast, we do. So if you're ever not here on a Thursday, you can check that out uh, where you get all your pod- podcasts and stuff and all that. Um, it's usually posted by you know uh, Friday, sometimes not until Monday, but it'll be there eventually. So yeah. Uh, hey, uh, in case I haven't met you, uh, my name is Donnie Holiday. And if I have met you, my name is Donnie Holiday. It is week four, and I had not made that joke yet. I am contractually obligated to do that, so there it is, because um, I have not made it yet. So there it is. There we, there we are. Uh, but yeah, I'm one of your staff members, and uh, really, um, yeah, excited uh, t- to be here, excited um, to continue uh, our theme. If you look around the room, you're like, well, what is going on? We painted every, every year, so come back next fall, and it'll be different. Come back before next fall, please. Um, but... <laughs> But if you come back next fall, it will look uh, completely different. But our theme this year is Kingdom of Heaven, uh, painted here, cool slide uh, there, uh, talking about where heaven and earth meet. A uh, common uh, misconception, I think, is this idea that heaven is just this future hope, it's just a future thing, and it is very much a future thing, but it's not just a future thing. It is also a present uh, reality. And so that's what we're, we're talking about so we, when we say when heaven, where heaven and earth meet, we're talking about a present uh, reality. As you look um, over here, kind of next to the window, you see this green tent-looking thing. That's the tabernacle. Um, in the first part of the Bible, what uh, many people call the Old Testament, I don't like that term, old, because I'm 46 now, so some people think old's not good. So I go with the Hebrew scriptures because they're written in Hebrew. Uh, but in those, uh, to start off with, before they had a temple, God's people erected a tabernacle, which was basically a mobile temple. It was the place where heaven and earth met. Uh, then we get to the Greek scriptures or the New Testament, because um, it's written mostly in Greek, and we find Jesus, who basically announces himself as the place where heaven and earth meet, and he does this um, in what we're using as our theme verse, Matthew 4:17, when he says, "The kingdom of heaven has arrived." And I really like this translation of "has arrived" because it doesn't just say it's near, it doesn't just say it's coming, it doesn't go old school and say it hath come nigh whatever that means, but it says it has arrived. It, it is here. It is a present reality. And I also really like the fact that in the original language, uh, the Greek word that, that is translated has arrived uh, means to join one thing to another, which goes with our theme of where heaven and earth meet um, really well. So with Matthew 4.17 as our theme verse, it, it won't come as a huge surprise when I tell you that we uh, are going to be in Matthew's gospel um, all year long, if the word gospel, you're like, what does that mean? Well, gospel is a, just a fancy uh, Bible and church word that means good news. Um, the Greek scriptures start with four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, basically uh, named after the men credited with writing them. So we're going to be hanging out in Matthew's. Uh, his gospel is, is the longest one we would not be able to go through if we went from front to back, so we're splitting it up into three series. Uh, and you're joining us tonight in series one where we're looking at parables, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like kind of that back part uh, of this side of the wall. And then we'll get to his interactions with people and some preaching uh, later on in the year. But we're looking at stories that Jesus told to try to help us understand uh, what the kingdom of heaven is like. That is, that is what is meant uh, by parables. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, I'm going to pray and ask God to slow me down a little bit because I'm obviously super excited about this talk because the more excited I get, the faster I talk. And I'm talking fast, Brandon. I'm talking fast. But man, it must be a good one. So maybe it's that brookie I had. Whoa. I didn't have, I didn't, that was so good. 
but I didn't have like regular food to just start with that, so I just got that sugar just sitting right there, so buckle up. This is going to be a lot. I'm going to pray. Here we go. All right. <laughs> hey, God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for uh, every person that is, that is here right now and uh, folks that are listening to the podcast uh, later on. Um, God, I pray right now that that you would calm me down, but not too much, because we're talking about your word, and it's exciting, and it's cool, and it's good stuff. Um, but I just pray that this would, that these next few minutes would be what you wanted to be, and that you would speak for me and hear for each of us uh, exactly what uh, you want us to, to hear. Uh, we love you, God. We thank you for Jesus. So his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, how many Imagine Dragons fans we got? Okay, a good number of you. Okay, I saw a very interesting thing on my Insta feed uh, the other day, and if you're like, I'm not an Imagine Dragons fan, don't worry. If you're not an Imagine Dragons fan, you're probably going to end up liking the story, actually. Um, so I was scrolling through Insta, you know, as one does, and one of, one of those recommended posts came up, and I usually don't pay any attention to these, but for some reason, it, it, it got my attention. And it was, it was this person um, who, was, who called themselves a former Imagine Dragons fan. They had been a big fan of Imagine Dragons and then, and, you know, seen them a number of times and all this. But then they went to a show that was a cover band, an Imagine Dragons cover band. And they said they weren't very good. So this person has decided that they're never going to listen to Imagine Dragons again. <laughs> Which makes no sense, right? Like, regardless of how you feel about Imagine Dragons, we can agree that that makes no sense. But it seems to make sense when people do it with the Bible. Oh, yeah, just right out of the bat, just dropping a mic. But yeah, but seriously, I mean, we, you know, there are things in the Bible that we've, we've heard misused or misinterpreted, and so we're like, I'm done with that. Or we're done with Jesus because some people who claim to follow him don't do a very good job of following him. Um, and if, if, if that's where you are and you're here tonight, awesome. I am so glad you're here. If you're not sure about this Jesus thing because of how people who have claimed to follow him have, have hurt you or hurt those around you and you still had the courage uh, to come here, even if you just came for free tzatzikis, I don't care. I'm glad you're here. Um, but when people kind of dismiss Jesus because of how Christians act, I mean, I got to say, I, I can kind of understand where they're coming from because, I mean, we're messed up. So let me ask this question. And I'm so excited about this. I'm not going to sit on the box drum like I've done the last two weeks. I'm going to come down here front because I'm not a close contact for COVID, so I'm not worried about getting close to y'all. So if you're new or have forgotten, a question I ask up here is more often than not rhetorical. But when I go down there, I'm actually wanting some discussion. So what are some of the most common criticisms you have heard uh, from non-Christians about Christians? Shoving it down people's throats, Okay. All right, judgmentalism, that's a good one. Oh, yeah, I love everybody, but not really everybody. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, look at, look at that fear. Yeah. Alyssa? Close-mindedness. Close Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Uneducated. Uneducated. Oh, we got a lot. Okay, Luke. Uh, I know, they're so lame, right? <laughs> so lame. Yeah, I mean, these are all... And here's the thing, I think, I mean, a lot of these are pretty, you know, I think, I think that's, it, it's hard to argue with some of those criticisms. Now, the two most common, and there, there are studies done about this on a regular basis, the two most common are they're hypocritical and they're judgmental. Those are the two most common ones. 
Okay? I mean, I've heard people say all the time, I don't like going to church because church is full of hypocrites. Church is not full of hypocrites. We have room for some more. Come on in. <laughs> because we're all hypocrites. Because the interesting thing, going back to Greek language here again, is that the, the word hypocrite literally means an actor in a play. But we don't ever do that. We don't ever, like, play a different part depending on who we're with and who the audience is. So, uh, so that's obviously, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. And... And oftentimes the criticism about, you know, about the judging thing and, and, the, ju- and the judgmentalism is, uh, I've, I've heard it said, the Bible says not to judge. And it doesn't. It actually, it actually talks about how to judge. The Bible never specifically prohibits and outlaws all judgment. Now, there's some, is there some judgment, judgmentalism that does not need to happen? Of course. Is there some judgment that does need to happen? Yes. I hope you use good judgment when you are pulling out of here tonight as far as whether or not that car is far enough away for you to make it out safely. Okay? Please do that. We had someone years ago who did not use good judgment when pulling in, and we had a really fun incident. Nobody was hurt, thankfully, but everybody was eating outside, and then there were fire trucks, and there was a wreck, and it was really... Everybody was fine, but man, that was an exciting dinner and a message. Um, yikes, that was something. But like, Jesus says this about judging. John 7, 24. Stop judging only by what you see. Judge in the right way. So, we do need to judge. Jesus just says, just judge in the right way. And so, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, thankfully, that's not the only thing Jesus said about judging. There's more to it. Um, in one of his most uh, well-known sermons, it's, it's oftentimes called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is kind of what we were trying to show here. We'll get to that uh, in the spring. Uh, he says this in Matthew 7, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. And it's like, whoa, hold on, keep reading, which is an important thing in the Bible. If you read one sentence and you're like, hmm, keep reading. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. You will be judged by the same standard. So if you judge graciously, um, generously, kindly, that's the way you'll be judged. But if you judge like a jerk, mean, as if you are perfect, that's the way you're going to be judged also, harshly. Okay, and it's like, okay, what does that mean? I wish Jesus would unpack that more. He does. Jesus is really good at what he does. He's also really good at word pictures. This is, Jesus doesn't get enough credit for being funny because this is funny. And maybe it's just because I'm a dad, but anyway. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get that splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite! See? Even Jesus called Christians hypocrites. Um, That's deep. (laughs) That is not in my notes. That, okay. (laughs) First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. If we weren't supposed to ever make any sort of judgments, Jesus would have said, let your neighbor, let your brother deal with his own splinter. You worry about the plank in your own eye. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, help your brother with the splinter in his eye, but after you've made it so you can see clearly. Okay, so the Bible doesn't explicitly prohibit judgment, which I think is important. Um, also, one last word picture here that I think is a little confusing. Verse 6, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs 
or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. What in the world? What do you, what do you, what do you think? Ho- don't, don't throw your holy stuff to dogs. Don't toss your pearls before pigs. What, what, is, what do you think that means? What are you talking about? Okay. Okay. I would think like don't. Well, that's what they like. I was thinking like don't give something to like your party who's not gonna like appreciate it. But I don't think that's what I think. I don't know. I think it is. Okay. <laughs> at, at least, at least in part. So, George, what are you gonna say? Absolutely. It's kind of like, oh, go ahead. Mm. Yeah, we're going to come back to that because that's a tricky thing because, oh, thank Autumn, right? Isn't that your name? That's good. I like that. We're going we're gonna to come back to that in a little bit. But I, I like to go with the modern day proverb, um, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Okay? If you go out with somebody on the first date, and they're a complete jerk to you and don't take good care of you and don't, don't pay. Ladies, if he doesn't pay, <laughs> he shouldn't ask you out in the first place. I'm just saying, Gen- gentlemen, if you're not going to pay, if you can't afford to pay, don't ask her out yet. Or do something free. There's all sorts of free stuff around here. Hodson's has ice cream for, what, $1.50? I remember when it was a quarter, so... Um, <laughs> But I am 46. So, but yeah, so don't, if, if, if you know, th- this is a judgment thing. If they're a jerk to you and to the people around you on date one, they don't get a date two. Okay, that's not throwing your pearls before pigs. At least I think that's what it means. So what we're going to do tonight, <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. It's going to be better than, I, than what this is about to say. We're going to talk about judgment. Um, because... Jesus told at least four parables that are judgment parables. And the reason I say at least is because depending on which Bible scholar you look at, uh, there could be more, but pretty much everybody agrees that there are at least four parables that Jesus is telling that are called judgment parables. They are about, uh, about judgment. Judgment currently, final judgment, all of that. So I know right now some of us are like, ooh, I'm going to go to the bathroom and not come back. Um, But I think tonight will be helpful because it will give us a less scary way to look at these parables that have been misused. Because they've been misused. Jesus did tell these. Somebody somebody else didn't make these things up. Okay, Jesus did tell these stories. But people have misused them. And I think they've used it. Fear-mongering was brought up as a criticism of, of, of Christians. And these parables are some of the main things people use in that fear mongering. That's misusing Jesus' words here. And I also think tonight will be useful because we're going to see that God actually wants good for everyone. And that's always been the case. Sometimes we don't think that. Sometimes we think God's out to get us. That is not the case. We're going to see that God wants good for everyone. Now, honestly, I think we'd rather skip these parables. I can tell you right now, I would. I, would, I really did not want to talk about these. because I was like, man, it's a downer, and it's tough, and it, it, they're cringy, and they make all sorts of people uncomfortable, but... I just couldn't in good conscience say, let's talk about parables and then not talk about any of the judgment parables when there's literally at least uh, four of them. So um, 
So we're going to delve into this because as one person I read uh, last week, or maybe this week, I don't remember, it all runs together, said, either judgment is a key part of Christian preaching or nobody even needs the good news. If we're not going to talk and teach about judgment, then people don't really even need the good news because if there's no judgment, there's no need for salvation. And if there's no need for salvation, then Jesus is pretty much useless. But if what the Bible says is true, and I believe it is, Jesus' worth is limitless because the salvation he offers saves us from judgment. And y'all, that's good news. Okay, that's good news. So we're going to look at three parables tonight. Uh, We're going to look at the first two very quickly because I want to camp out in the third one for a little bit longer because that's really what I want us uh, to focus on and, and, and concentrate uh, on it. And that, that's the parable, if you don't remember anything else, of the three. That's the one I want you to remember. But I do want to read these other three uh, relatively quickly. I'm uh, not going to discuss them a ton, um, but I do want to point out that apparently judgment matters to Jesus because he taught about it on multiple occasions. Okay, and I think that's important. So we're going to start with something called the parable of the net. This is found in Matthew 13. If you've got a Bible and want to follow along, cool. Otherwise, it's right there. Jesus speaking here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, and they just threw away the bad. So it will be to the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is why judgment parables are not fun for people. Fiery furnace, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Um, Nash was the wordle word a couple days ago, if anybody still does wordle. I almost didn't get it, and I was like, what in the world? How could it? I was like, oh, it's Nash, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I know, it's just like, what is going on? It's got to be a silent letter at the beginning. I was so confused. Um, But here's the thing. If we just throw this out, we miss the meaning of it. We... And we miss something really powerful if we just throw this out like we throw out bad fish. So we're going to look at another parable that unpacks it a little bit more. This one's called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Jesus speaking again. Puts another parable before them. Which, by the way, the Greek language put it before them literally is like he set the table. It's like, all right, boys, here's something to chew on. Um, uh, Boys and girls, I should say, because he was talking to a big crowd here. Um, well, even if he was talking to his disciples, because Jesus did have female disciples. Jesus did have female disciples. So that's just a fact. Um, anyway, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. I am talking so fast. Uh, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them because their roots would have been all tangled together. Just let them both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, um... Coming off of the parable of the net, you're probably like, okay, I think I got a pretty good idea of what's going on here. Um, but there's a lot more things. It's not just the net and good fish and bad fish. There's a lot of uh, good fish, bad fish, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Um, so that, that, just, that just came out of nowhere. Um, 
<laughs> it's very stream of consciousness. You never know what you're going to get. That's, this is why we have a theme right here, because uh, you never know where I'm going to go. Um, but there's a lot more going on. So it would be super good if Jesus would actually sit down and be like, okay, here's what everything stands for. And this is one of the very few parables that Jesus actually does that with. Okay, so later on in Matthew 13. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, um, how about you explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field? Because we don't get it. And he answered, then the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus' favorite nickname for himself, basically, is to call himself the son of man. It has some um, Hebrew scripture overtones in a book called uh, Daniel. Um, and all the angels are with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him, by the way, this is a very long passage, but all of it's important. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember that phrase, please. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer in the same way, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay? Now, there's a lot going on there. Okay? There's a lot to unpack. Um, but I want you to remember what I said early on about how it's useful, how tonight's going to be useful, that we're going to see that God wants good for everyone. And that's actually always been his desire. According to that passage, I'll come out here real quick. Who does Jesus say hell was made for? The devil and his angels. Oftentimes, if God's so loving, if God's so good, why did he make hell? He didn't make it for people. That is an important thing that we wrap our minds around. Hell was not made for people. Okay, that is a very important thing that we start to wrap our minds around. He did not make it for people. And one of Jesus' closest followers, a man named Peter, um, who doesn't have the best reputation for being super smart and understanding things, apparently he got this. Because in one of his letters, uh, Peter wrote two letters that they appear very late uh, in, the, in the Greek scriptures. Um, he wrote this in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. 
But to some extent, it's not his call. If we don't change, and if you were here with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about how repentance just means to change the way you think and act. Okay? If we don't, if we don't, if we don't change the way we think and act when we do things that are selfish, when we do things that are harmful to others, when we don't care, when we do things that are, that are all about me, 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 and, and, you know, we, and we, we, we put other things on the same level as God, then we haven't come to repentance, and then God doesn't get what He wants, because God doesn't want anybody in hell. The worst historical figure you can think of, God doesn't want that person in hell. That's how much God loves. Which is hugely important, because here's the thing about that, about this understanding of God's love, because uh, one, one commentator I, I read, and if, if I say commentary and commentator, you're like, what are you talking about? There, there's a whole part of Christian literature that people write books about books of the Bible. That's just what they do. Um, and some of them are uh, fascinating, and some of them are fascinating in a completely different way, but they all make you think. Um, but one, one person said that, that what's outlined in, in Matthew 25 here is acts of mercy that aren't a means to an end, but instead they're an expression of knowledge of God's love. Okay, doing these things, taking care of the hungry and the thirsty and, and those in prison and those that need clothes, it's not about an, a means to an end. It's about showing that you understand God's love. And by understand, what the author of that, of that commentary had in mind was an experiential understanding. Like you've experienced God's love to the point that you can't not show compassion. And the, the Greek word translated compassion actually means to be, to have your guts like turned within you. Like there is something going on physically in your guts that will not allow you to not help that person. That's what biblical compassion is. And so taking care of these people is an expression that shows your understanding of God's love. It's not a checklist, y'all. It's not like you have to sit here and be like, okay, I've given food to the food bank, so I guess that counts as giving people food. Okay. And I, and I, I was one time, I, I volunteered at a, at a 5K race and handed out water to people. Okay, cool. And I've given clothes. I don't know if the people were actually naked that came to get it at the clothes closet, but okay, I've never visited somebody in prison, but somebody from my high school's got to be in jail by now. So it's not, I mean, y'all, it's not that. Okay, it's, that's not what it is. This is, and some of y'all are like, oh, now they, they didn't graduate because they were in jail. Um, but the, the people that, that Jesus calls the sheep here, are people who have given practical expression to Jesus' basic summary of the law. And Jesus' basic summary of the law, it's the title of a song we're going to sing after I'm done, and you'll see it all over t-shirts um, around here. I think San yep, Sandra's actually wearing one. Love God, love people. That's Jesus' summary of the entire Hebrew Scripture law, is love God, love people. And these sheep are giving practical expressions to it. They're showing what that love looks like. You know, it's fascinating because in today's day and age, you don't want to be a sheep. Sheep are just followers. You want to be the goat. You want to be the greatest of all time. And Jesus is just like, no, dude, you don't want to do that. It's like, you don't want to be a sheep and follow? Sure you do. If you're following the right shepherd, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leads me beside still waters. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. That sounds pretty good to me. And if I'm a sheep for that, okay, bye-bye, here we go. <laughs> now, at this point, you might be like, all right, Donnie, I mean, cool stories, but, you know, I've, I've heard different sermons on Matthew 25, and it's, and it's very clear that, that Matthew 25, these are, these are stories that Jesus is telling about the end of time, about, like, when his return. And, and it even said that in the, in the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds and, and, and the net. It's talking about the, the end of the age. So, I mean, it isn't all of this stuff about, like, just future. And if that's where, where we are, I want to remind us of our theme and of our, of our theme slide, that the kingdom of heaven is where heaven and earth meet. And y'all, we walk through these intersections all day, every day. It's not like there's just one intersection where heaven and earth meet. We walk through these intersections all day, every day. And sometimes we notice them, and sometimes we don't. But this is the whole point of our theme. The whole, this whole study of Matthew is about these intersections, these places where heaven and earth meet. And what's fascinating is that according to Jesus, we have interactions at these intersections more often than we realize. I kind of combined two verses here. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did or did not do it to one of the least of these, one of the least of these brothers, you did or did not do it to me. Interactions with the least of these, according to Jesus, are interactions with Jesus himself. That sure sounds like a place where heaven and earth meet to me. But what we get hung up on, because we're people and this is what we do, we get hung up on those three words right there. Least of these. I told you I read commentaries uh, not for fun. Um, sometimes, though. Um, I'm such a nerd. Uh, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, it's fascinating when you read commentaries about this passage, the arguments that there are about who the least of these are. You know, are they Jesus' disciples? Are they some of Jesus' disciples? Maybe the ones that, you know, had a little bit rougher life or... Are they Gentiles, non-Jewish people? Or maybe they're Jewish people who are down on their luck. Or is it all people who are down on their luck? Or maybe it's the Jewish people who believe in Jesus. Maybe it's the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles who believe in Jesus. So like, who did Jesus have in mind? So I started reading a lot of this stuff, a lot of these arguments. And I'm telling you, some of them are not friendly. Because some of them are like, uh, I believe this now. This other guy believes that. He's an idiot. Um, like not quite, but, but pretty close. But then I stopped reading them because I realized something. I realized that Satan is really good at distracting us from important questions with completely irrelevant ones. See, the important question's right here, but Satan's like, hey, look over here, something's shiny, and we're like, oh, squirrel! Um, but y'all, that, that's one of Satan's greatest tricks is distraction. It's like, yeah, they could wrestle with this question that actually has important ramifications, not just for eternity, but also understanding that eternity is no beginning and no end, so right now is part of eternity. Or I could have them arguing about what Enneagram Paul was. <laughs> there are probably blog posts about that, y'all. I mean, there probably are. And right now, some of you are like, oh, he's definitely this. That's not the point. <laughs> it's not the point. 
Okay, right now, right now, in this room, on this campus, or on UNG's campus, or ATC's campus, wherever you are, right now, it doesn't matter who the least of these were in first century land of Israel. Right now, what matters is who the least of these are in Athens, Georgia, in the 21st century. That's what matters. But if Satan can distract us over here with, well, maybe it was these people, then all of a sudden we don't see the people that we walk right past every single day. What if we debate who they were then so we don't have to try to figure out who they are now? What if we debate who the least of these were then so we don't have to think about who they are now? So let's think about it for a little bit. Who are the least of these in your world, in Athens, Georgia, 2023? When you hear that phrase, least of these. Okay, people journeying through homelessness. Okay, folks incarcerated. That person lost on campus. Mm. Okay. People dealing with poverty and food insecurity. People that feel alone and marginalized. People that feel alone and marginalized. I was just going to say us because the town has been leveled for a long time. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anybody who's struggling? Okay. I'm going to say the HIV folks. We all saw the cats. Okay. How about we go with the people who have the lost dogs and the cats? So, because that sucks when you don't know where your dog and your cat are. But you got, uh, yeah, Charles. Okay. Yeah, Georgia. Ooh, Mike. Mm. Okay, good call. What you got, Nick? Matt? The service workers who don't give Yes, I'm coming back to that one. <laughs> but yes. The people who like, don't want to help for various reasons. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so lots of folks, right? Lots of folks. I want to go back to service workers and specifically talk about UGA staff. I don't mean faculty. I don't mean, you know, TAs or GAs. I mean the folks that clean the Tate bathrooms. Okay? I mean, imagine how much you would appreciate them if they didn't for three days. Okay? Um, Y'all, most of those folks don't make enough money to be able to afford to park on campus. Which is insane that you work at a job that you can't park at. Because parking's that expensive and you get paid that little. Now here's the thing. We're far enough into the semester. You've seen the same staff over the course of the semester. You know that when you're sitting, you know, in, in that place on campus between classes, you know that same lady or that same gentleman comes by with that broom and one of those dustpans every single day. Have you ever told him thank you? I mean, it's right there, y'all. It's right there as, as, as an opportunity. Tell your bus drivers thank you, too. 
But yeah, the point of just holding a door for somebody, giving them a smile, you have no idea how much of a difference uh, you know, that could make. Y- y'all, y'all listed some, some, really, some really good good ideas there, and, and you probably got other ideas. So what I want you to think about, what I want each of us to think about tonight, our question, how do I treat the least of these? Uh, if you're new, I like using a question. I think questions stick better than, than bottom line statements, especially if it's a first person question that you will dare to ask yourself. Um, that just works really well. Now here's the thing. You can't treat them anyway until you actually notice them. And see people. This is something I talk about a lot. you got to see people. Now, the challenge with that is, once you start seeing people, you can't not. Okay, but if you'll do that, you'll make their life better, and your life will be better too. Because, y'all, it's not just about a checklist to make sure you're a sheep and not a goat at the end of time. It's about showing the love of Jesus to those around us, especially those who are overlooked and ignored, and even more so those that wish they were overlooked and ignored rather than being oppressed and isolated on purpose and hated and pushed to the margin of society and told that they don't belong and don't matter. It's about showing love to the people that feel like nobody loves them. Okay, if you feel compelled to give some money to somebody journeying through homelessness, do it, but don't do it without asking them, your, asking them their name and telling them yours. This is something a friend of mine taught me better than 20 years ago. When you talk to people who are journeying through homelessness, if you feel compelled to give them some money, sure, but ask them their name. Tell them yours. I've seen it, y'all. I think there are times that that interaction means more to them than the money. And by the way, the reason I say people journeying through homelessness is because that way we keep the humanity. Because if you say the homeless, all of a sudden they're not a person, they're a problem that you can ignore. And if you say homeless people, you've said they're homeless before they're a person. If you say people who are homeless, you are implying that they're stuck and there's no need for you to help them. But when you say people are journeying through homelessness, then all of a sudden it becomes somebody you can go on a journey with. The words we use matter. And dehumanizing words just are not of Jesus. The Old Testament law puts special emphasis uh, on the poor, people who are poor, widows, orphans, and foreigners. Special emphasis throughout. There's even one point, and y'all, it's, it's a place where, where God says, okay, here's the law, and here's some consequences. If somebody does this, this is their punishment. If somebody does this, this is their punishment. And then he says, if somebody messes with an orphan, a widow, or a foreigner, don't worry about it. I'll handle it. That's how much... People on the margins of society matter to God. That's how much the least of these matter. That's why Jesus identifies with the least of these in his day and also in ours. And here's the thing. I know from experience that the benefits of taking the time to interact with and help as you can people journeying through homelessness to any other least of these folks, it's not just theirs. I have benefited greatly I remember a couple months ago, I pulled up uh, next to a young lady and, uh, who was in a spot on, um, over on the east side and um, you know, went to hand her some money. I said, what's your name? She said, Ariel, like the mermaid. I was like, cool, how you doing? And she's like, well, I got a nice shady spot. Every now and then God sends me a good breeze. You know, I'm not doing great, but it could be a whole lot worse. And I was like, Ariel, 
I stopped to encourage you, and you just encouraged me. Um, I also think about um, Miss Ruth, who years ago, I watched Miss Ruth, who was journeying through homelessness downtown, and uh, Beth and I were part of a mission, uh, a ministry that went downtown every Friday night to hang out with folks journeying through homelessness, and Miss Ruth, who had two pairs of socks, the one she was wearing and the one in her bag, she gave her socks from her bag to a college student who had gone downtown in 50-degree weather in sandals. That's what Miss Ruth did. And then I think about, then I think about Joe. And I'm going to read y'all. I know we're going long. I'm, I'm just about done. But I want to read you something that I wrote um, almost nine years ago now um, about a gentleman journeying through homelessness that, that over the course of a couple years I got to know a little bit. Uh, because I hope you will hear in, in my words and in my attempt to read these words to you how reaching out to the least of these isn't just about showing them God's love, but in the process, they show me God's love as well. If you're on the east side of Athens on a regular basis, you've probably seen him. He stands at the red light at the corner of Barnet Shoals and the access road that runs in front of Publix, in front of Firehouse Subs and Caba. That's how old this was. They're not even there anymore. Um, he usually wears khaki pants, a long sleeve, light blue button-down shirt, and a tan cap. The first time I gave him some cash, he didn't want to take it without working for it. I told him that I didn't have any work for him to do and to please take the money. I don't know how long ago that was. It seems like forever to me, so I can't imagine how long it seems like to him. Since that day, I've given him money from time to time and food at other times, a couple slices of pizza from Papa John's on a Tuesday night, or a sandwich from Chick-fil-A. But more importantly, I've learned that his name is Joe, and I've gotten to know him just a little bit. One thing about him that has always stood out to me is his eyes. They're not hardened and glazed over, what you might expect from a man who's had a string of rotten luck. His eyes are gentle and kind, and they display a sense of gratitude that I have not seen often. He's always so thankful and looks me in the eye when we talk. Tuesday night as I drove home, I saw him and I said to myself, Joe, sorry man, I don't have anything for you today. Next thing I knew, I was in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru line getting him a chicken sandwich because I guess God knew better. I parked near Joe's spot, got, up and walked, got out and walked over to him. As always, he was amazingly grateful. And then he started telling me about a job that he had just started. He told me about how hard it was to get some documents that he needed to get that job. But I'm not going to give up, he said. The entire time as we talked, his eyes showed that same kindness and gratitude that I was used to seeing, but this time I saw joy and pride also. I'm going to let that pass because I want to make sure you hear the next part. If you're, if you're new, that happens pretty much every week. Um, as I headed for my car, he said, Dang it, Joe. As I headed for my car, he said, thank you, brother. Maybe one, maybe one day I'll be able to help you the way you've helped me. I've been told and formally believe that you should not give money to people asking for it because they might use it for less than noble reasons. Well, that's not right biblical judgment. I should give and give the benefit of the doubt. Matthew 5, 8 reads, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Sometimes people who are pure in heart can be taken advantage of. 
If you always give people the benefit of the doubt, chances are that at some point doing so, it's going to bite you in the butt. But after that day with Joe, I'll take my chances. Because as I think about Joe's eyes, I realize that I see God in his eyes. And I see Jesus in him. See, that particular Tuesday, I didn't have anything for Joe. But Joe and Jesus sure had something for me. I don't remember the first time I saw Joe. Uh, when it was, I remember, I remember him pretty much begging me for, to have him work for the money instead of just taking it. But I do remember the last time I saw him, and it was that day. Since that time, many people have come and gone from, from that corner. Sometimes they go, and they're gone for a while, and they come back. Joe's never been back. And I kind of have this, I have this low-key dream that one day I'm going to be in a restaurant, and the waiter or waitress is going to come up. By the way, least of these, tip your waiters and waitresses. Um, the waiter or waitress is going to come up and say, hey, your bill's been paid. He left, but I think he said his name was Joe. And I will just be a puddle of emotion on the floor if that ever happens. But I am so thankful. I don't even know Joe's last name. But I'm so thankful that God helped me see Joe. So how do I treat the least of these? That's, um, that's our question. And no, don't do it for your own benefit. Do it to show God's love to somebody else. But understand if you do it, you'll have God's love back on you in a heartbeat. I got plenty more stories I could tell. Uh, and if you want to know more, uh, I, I, would, I would love to. Because it has been one of the greatest blessings in my life that God doesn't let me not see the least of these. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we see the least of these and treat them the way Jesus would. Let's pray. God, as far as you're concerned, we're all the least of these because you are just on a whole nother level from us, God. But we also know, even those of us that are really struggling, God, we know that there are people who have a much harder time than us. And God, it is so easy to be in a hurry and walk past people. And God, please just slow us down. Just slow us down and open our eyes. And God, when you open our eyes and you show us that one person at that time, please, God, please give us the courage. Please give us the courage to just treat them the way that you would and to show them the same love that you show us on a daily basis. God, I thank you for Joe. I have no idea where he is or what he is doing, but I am trusting that you have just got him in the palm of your hand and you are taking good care of him. Thank you for using him to bless me in ways that I could not have imagined that first time I gave him some cash. May you give all of us relationships like that. 
But first, God, please open our eyes so we can see them. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray.